Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Kevin Olson back with another episode of Basin Breakdown. Now, if you're new to this, this is a segment where we go back to the previous month. So we're recording this in September, and this will be all of the news for August, the month before. Typically, we try to get it out halfway through the month, but I don't know about you, Kevin. I have been up to my neck in work, so... uh, (laughs) I feel that. But... First, we're going to kick it off a little bit differently because that's just the way Nicholas Bryan wrote it. And oh, also Nick Fernhout, the both of them are two Nick interns or Nick turns. Thank you for putting this together. And we start with the Powder River Basin in Wyoming, where a new report confirms a near billion barrel oil field. Canadian Overseas Petroleum Limited, COPL, has confirmed the discovery of a 993.5 million barrel field in the Converse and Natrona counties, Wyoming. This is one of the largest conventional light oil discoveries in North America in decades. COPL operates four fields and 48,000 contiguous leasehold acres in both of these counties in the southwestern portion of the Powder River Basin. The discovery, made in January of 2022, and reserves estimations have been confirmed after undergoing a series of tests established by Canadian regulatory bodies concerning the booking of oil and gas reserves. And oh my goodness, I really hope this is legitimate, this is real, they're not overinflating the numbers, because this would be big for exploration. Well, no, that's just, I mean, it's A, it's a huge number, and B, it's coming at a time that Really, I mean, we've just seen Wyoming struggling so, so much in these past two years that, I mean, this could really be a game changer up in Wyoming. I mean, it's really a game changer for the entire industry in and of itself. But, I mean, Tavis, almost a billion field. That's brand new. No one's ever even tapped into this yet. So plenty of resources, plenty of opportunities to be had. So nice job to the folks over at the COPL. But where let's talk about where the Wyoming governor is calling for the industry and community input to help develop a regional hydrogen hub. Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico have formed a coalition to develop all forms of energy, whether that be renewable or conventional. But these intermountain states are, according to Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon, they're uniquely qualified to be on the leading edge of the energy evolution as they have a, quote, sophisticated oil and gas industry and also a presence of high-quality wind, solar, biomass, and other energy resources. A request for an expression of interest has been published in order to seek stakeholder engagement and input. And, you know, Tavis, this is really not something that's all that exciting, but it is important to see that Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico are really kind of just trying to band together and just find where this new energy frontier is going to come from, whether it be conventional, whether it be renewable, whether it be green. And and I just think that it's, they're just exploring all their options. They're not just kind of getting pigeonholed, like, nope, we got to stick with oil and gas. It's what we know. It's what we can do. Like, no, we got wind up here. Let's explore wind. Not- Plenty of sunshine here in Colorado, like we know. Yeah. Let's explore solar. So not only do we have wind and solar, but like you said, it's high quality wind and solar, whatever that means. <laughs> but I'm glad we have it. Lastly, to round off what we've got for the Powder River Basin, the Interior is denying that it ignored the impact of 3,500 oil and gas permits on the climate. Now, what does that mean? 
The U.S. Department of Interior, in a 50-page letter, pushed back against a complaint filed by several environmental groups, including the Center for Biological Diversity and Wild Earth Guardians. These groups claimed that the approval of more than 3,500 drilling permits on federal lands, mostly in Wyoming and New Mexico, quote, failed to account for greenhouse gas impacts on climate change, end quote. The U.S. Department of Interior called such claims vague and ambitious, and therefore signed the applications for drilling permits, and I'm actually quite surprised that the Department of the Interior had our back on this one, because usually these claims in the past have just sort of locked things Goes the up. opposite way, yeah. Exactly, so after, what, almost... I, I don't even know how many months at this point. Way too many months of not being able to drill on federal land. When these permits go through, they're challenged and then upheld. Good stuff. Happy to see all this news in Wyoming. I think that's everything we've got there. Kevin, where are we headed next? We are going to take it over to the Permian Basin, where Palisade Pipeline has launched an open season for Permian Basin produced water gathering pipeline. On August 24th, Palisade Pipeline announced an open season on the new 97-mile rail runner, which is a new produced water takeaway pipeline that will be constructed along Highway 18 between Leah County and Winkler County. The open season is a period wherein producers and midstream operators will be given the opportunity to contract pipeline capacity for their proposed water pipeline. The pipeline, upon completion, will be able to transport 500 thousand barrels of well produced water each and every day <laughs> wow that's that's pretty big i feel like this is not the in at least in recent months this is not the first story if we've looked at that is uh, looking to increase takeaway capacity in both the sense of water and gas so i'm excited there but recent drilling counts uh, would suggest that texas and permian specifically ain't doing as hot so hopefully it's not all for nothing but i think they've got a good open season ahead of them Next, we've got Diamondback Energy looking to acquire some resources. Well, some assets specifically. On August 24th, 2022, Diamondback Energy, which I had no idea, their ticker symbol FANG, love it, completed the acquisition of the remaining units of Rattler Midstream, a publicly traded subsidiary of Diamondback Energy. Diamondback had previously owned 74% of Rattler Midstream and decided in May of 2022 to repurchase the remaining outstanding shares. Rattler Midstream's assets include produced water gathering systems, oil gathering, non-operated interest in gas gathering and processing facilities, and non-operated equity stakes in oil and NGL pipelines throughout West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. Rattler Midstream has since been delisted from the NASDAQ, and I don't know too much about public to private or vice versa, so I'm wondering if this was just an opportunity for them to get public funding, buy that out, and then own it privately. You know, and, and, and that's something that is kind of interesting to me that Rattler was a subsidiary of Diamondback, and but now they're getting acquired. But if you're a subsidiary, do you really need to get acquired? Hmm, interesting one. But enough talk of that. Let's talk about how Laredo Petroleum just sold their Howard County properties to NOG for $110 million. Laredo Petroleum has entered into an agreement with Northern Oil & Gas to sell 1650 net acres in Howard County in the Midland Basin with 1,800 barrels of oil equivalent per day of production for $110 million in cash. The deal includes 6.4 net producing wells, 1.6 wells in progress, and 8 net undeveloped locations. The acreage is operated by SM Energy and is the second largest purchase 
by NOG of non-operated acreage in West Texas after last year's $406.5 million acquisition of Veritas Energy Group's non-operated Permian Holdings. And Tavis, the best part to me about this is the 6.4 net producing wells, 1.6 wells in progress. What's going on here? Uh, it's not a whole lot, but if that's all that's producing, man, they, they must have some gushers on their hands to get that production they listed. But I think that rounds off at least the Permian, but we're not quite done with Texas. Come on, you know we have to visit one of our favorites, the Eagleford, where, sure, things are a little bit slow, but one of the good things about coming off of a few quarters of high commodity prices is that you get to see some big plays. On August 9th, 2022, Devon Energy of Oklahoma City announced an agreement to purchase Validus Energy, a pure play Eagleford player with 42,000 net acres of operation in Carnes County, Texas. This acquisition adds 35,000 barrels of oil equivalent daily of production and 350 drilling locations to Devon's South Texas position. The acreage is near existing Devon leaseholds in the oil window of the Eagleford Shale, and Devon expects to achieve a number of operational and administrative synergies in the deal. This deal is expected to close at the end of Q3 2022, and I love this. The Eagleford does not get enough action, but for Devon to get this much acreage and this much production out of it, I'm excited to see how they maximize it. Well, the, the interesting thing, and, and really what I think is the best part of the deal for Devon is that it's right next to their existing acreage. Mm -hmm. So they know the, they know what the rock's doing, what the reservoir is doing, and it's targeting the exact same reservoirs that they're producing from. So to me, this is absolutely just a win-win for Devon. You know, they're expanding their acreage, they're expanding their portfolio while at the same time, they're not really diversifying anything. So I think this is a great move for Devon and we'll keep you updated as this story progresses. But to finish out our Eagle for chats, Chesapeake Energy has announced an ambition to sell their holdings in South Texas in order to fund a more focused pursuit of gasier targets. CEO Dominic A. Deloso indicated that drilling targets in southern Louisiana and east Texas' Haynesville Shale will be increased in 2023. The Marcellus II will be a greater focus point for the company moving forward. There is indication that Chesapeake was working with advisors in the spring of 2021 to market the Eagleford asset for approximately $2 billion. But Deloso said that the divestiture of the long-held acreage will not be a fire sale. So looks like even though Chesapeake might be kind of moving away from the Eagleford, they're not totally abandoning hope, which is great. That's what we love to hear about our friends down in the Eagleford. And I think that wraps up everything in all of Texas. So now we're going to move it over to the Bakken in North Dakota, where we've got some fresh news about the sea level suite. On August 18th, 2022, Doug Lawler, you may have heard the name, was promoted to president and COO of Continental Resources. Lawler, the former CEO of Chesapeake, was brought on as COO of Continental Resources in February of 2022. Lawler's promotion comes soon after acquisitions of the Permian Delaware and Powder River Basins, adding to the existing resource base and the scoop, stack, and Bakken plays in Oklahoma and North Dakota, respectively. Continental Resources is the largest single leaseholder and producer in the Williston Basin, and I knew this guy wasn't going to stay out of the industry. He was too young when he, say, stepped down. It was not going to be retirement, so that's some great leadership to have on the team. I'm excited to see what Continental can do, because it seemed like Chesapeake was just kind of floating. Not quite belly up, but floating. 
But up next, Northern Oil and Gas has entered into agreement to purchase $170 million worth of non-operated but working assets in Dunn, Williams, and McKenzie counties in the Williston Basin. The deal includes 3,500 acres, nine net producing wells, nearly three wells in progress, and 15 engineered PUD locations. The working interests are operated by Marathon Oil, ConocoPhillips, and Continental Resources. The assets will produce more than 2,300 barrels of oil daily, most of which is oil. The assets will produce more than 2,300 barrels of oil equivalent each and every day, but most of that is actually oil. And then again, this is going to be real quick because it's just asset acquisition and C-suite level change, but Riverbend Energy Group wraps up a $1.8 billion sale of non-op shale assets. Riverbend Energy has closed that deal, and the interest produced 47,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day from 11,000 wells. The assets are located in North Dakota, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and East Texas. Riverbend Energy, having divested this asset, is focusing on managing Funds 7, Midland Basin, 10, Alternative Energy Systems, and 9, Mineral and Royalty Interest. Riverbend Energy has now successfully monetized 7 funds and continues to raise capital for additional funds. After having been founded in 2003, Riverbend has acquired and managed over $5 billion in total enterprise value. Talk about a glow-up. No kidding, but as much as we do, do love talking about a glow-up, we're actually going to bring it here to our home state and talk about the DJ and Nibrera, where 24 states, including Colorado, are getting $560 million for high-priority cleanup of abandoned oil and gas wells. $560 million from the Interior Department will be divided between 24 states for the purpose of, quote, Cleaning high-priority, derelict oil and gas wells abandoned on state and private land, end quote. States will be given approximately $25 million each to help cover abandonment and monitoring costs. Some states, such as Kansas, are using the money to clean up as many as 2,352 wells, which have been identified as problematic on grounds of methane emissions. Other states, like Alaska, are only able to clean up 12 to 18 wells, this is due to things such as depth of the wells, remoteness, and site conditions, which all make the Alaskan wells significantly more expensive. Colorado, on the other hand, has identified about 710 wells that need to be cleaned up with their $25 million. And then this next story, a little bit shocking, but Colorado air regulators shut down oil and gas facility due to the air pollution and health concerns. Now, Prospect Energy's oil and gas storage facility, which is just north of Fort Collins, drew regulators' attention after repeated air pollution violations. This marks the first time in over a decade that Colorado regulators have had to shut down a facility due to air pollution concerns. Investigation of the storage site has been underway since last year, when nearby residents began to complain about odors. Since then, the facility has been found guilty of hydrogen sulfide leaks, a hazardous gas, and has been issued four citations. Nearly a year later, regulators have found there to be little meaningful changes in how operations are taking place, hence the recent shutdown of the facility, and normally, I don't like to take the side of the regulators because there's a lot of red tape, a lot of obstruction, but this? Totally justified. We can't have hydrogen sulfide in any concentration leaking out of a facility carried by whatever wind to whatever local residential areas. That's terrible. Well, not even that. It's just it, the thing that's frustrating to me and 
why I'm again with you on tap. I'm with regulators on this is it's repeated violations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a, Oh, you guys screwed up once. Now we're going to shut you down. It's no kind of, we told you to get your act together. You didn't do it. We told you again, you still didn't do it. Fine. Now we're going to shut you down. And really Tavis, it's, it's, it's a health and safety thing. I mean, any kind of this gets near, you know, say a, a playground with, with kids go, being outside. No one's even going to notice. And then all of a sudden you can have huge health issues on your hands. So I am totally on board with you on this one. It's kind of an unfortunate story to hear, but I'm glad that they're taking steps in the right direction. But that is all we've got for Colorado. We're going to the scoop stack over in Oklahoma. We're going to keep it short and sweet this month where an oil company agrees to an $850,000 settlement for 2016 Oklahoma earthquake damages. Six years ago, the cities of Pawnee and Cushing in northeast Oklahoma experienced two earthquakes, one of which was set a new state record for the largest magnitude ever recorded. Operator Eagle Road Oil LLC was held partially responsible for the quakes and has just recently agreed to pay $850,000 to settle its portion of the lawsuit while maintaining that they are not responsible. Eagle Road's oil wastewater disposal wells in the area were determined to be part of the cause of the earthquakes. After the earthquakes, the Oklahoma Corporation Commission shut down 32 disposal wells in and around the area and restricted another 35 wells. Cummings Oil Company, Territory Resources LLC, and Invest Operating LLC are also being held responsible. And I'm torn on this because if you get a bunch of people injecting overpressure, over rates they should be, sure, I bet you could get some tectonic activity. But how do you prove it? We're talking miles into the ground, far, far away. It's hard to observe what's really going on, especially when there's tectonic plates involved. That's at a scale of forces and magnitudes way above. Could industry activity influence that yes i still just have my reservations no and i agree with you tavis and the hard thing here is you know who do you point the finger at you know do you say oh you guys are injecting the most in this area it's your fault or do you kind of all share the blame or is it maybe an offset operator who it's actually his fault and they didn't even identify him so it, it is kind of a stuck between a rock and a hard place type situation where okay, we want to make sure we're doing the right thing. We want to make sure that you know these um, tremors aren't continuing, but simultaneously, how can we really determine who's at fault? Who's the one that needs to kind of right the wrong, if you will? Well, Tavis, a fan favorite, and at least for the two of us, the, the podcast host favorite, we're going to take it over to California, where Shocker... We've got some lawsuits going on. The day environmentalist legislators have been waiting for has finally come, where buffer zones between oil and gas wells in sensitive areas will be legally backed. It took several years of failed attempts to impose these buffer zones around areas such as schools, hospitals, and homes because the oil and gas industry was lobbying against them. The new buffer zone legislation falls under Senate Bill 1137, which is part of Governor Newsom's plan to strengthen the state's environmental policies. It will require new wells to be no closer than 3,200 feet from sensitive sites defined by the state as those listed above. Opposition to the bill came from those already saying such policies will only continue to push oil and gas energy prices higher than they already are. And Tavis... This story makes me mad because 3,200 feet, that's over half a mile. Mm -hmm. You're taking out basically 
70 plus percent of the productive zones in California from now on. Like you can only operate in the middle of nowhere now. I just, I, I, I really feel for these people. I mean, you're pu pushing the oil and gas industry out of the state and you're going to push energy prices higher. That's the end of the day. Right. You're not going to see any new wells there, but I don't know how long this will stand for. Sure. I see why they're doing it, but as companies start to lose opportunities to continue to invest their business into the state, that area, well, it's a double-edged sword. Then the communities begin to lose the tax benefits that they get, the money that gets kicked back to the city, which is huge, especially in areas like Long Beach or Huntington Beach and even a little bit inland from those areas. So I'm a little surprised to see this go in, but what's the over-under, uh, let's say, 10 years for uh, this getting turned back? <laughs> you take an uh, over-under. I think under. Way, under. way under. I think. Years open. Oh, yeah. But next, Central California is getting a break from new oil and gas leasing. Oil and gas leasing in Central California is being put on pause until the Bureau of Land Management has conducted a more thorough environmental and public health assessment of the area. Trump's administration had originally opened up 1 million acres in the area for extraction, however, was soon met with opposition from California state agencies and half a dozen environmentalist organizations. Most of the controversy revolves around the practice of fracking due to claimed impacts on air and water quality in the vicinity. While the BLM conducts its investigation, environmental advocates continue to fight for the banning of fracking not only in Central California, but in the entire state, which is in line with Newsom's goal of zero fracking by 2024 and zero oil extraction by 2045. Again, these things just, while they are probably going to pass at some point, I do not see them standing for very long, especially with changes in local government. Exactly. And, and, and this story kind of builds off of the last one, you know, these environmental groups, they're, they're starting to kind of gain ground. They're gaining momentum to try and really start pushing the oil and gas industry out of the state. But I think the reality of what these decisions um, are, are going to affect the everyday people, I agree with you, Tavis. I don't think that they're going to stand for long. I think people are going to recognize and understand what these really mean, not just at a surface level, but how it's going to affect their everyday livelihood. And I think these are going to change. Do I think they're going to change tomorrow? Of course not. I think it'll take a couple years for people to really realize what's going on, but who knows? Maybe by then there will be zero fracking by 2045, and who knows? Maybe come 2045 there will be no oil and gas extraction in the state of California. But that's all we've got for California, and I think this brings us to our last basin for the podcast. It's been a little bit of a faster one this month, but we got to keep things moving, keep this show on the road. Of course, it's going to be the Marcellus Basin over in the Ohio-Philadelphia area. Sorry, Ohio-Pennsylvania area. First up, high-traffic gravel roads are often coated with a mixture consisting mostly of water, which is used to keep the amount of dust sent into the air by vehicles to a minimum. You've probably seen this on construction sites with big water dogs, water trucks just spewing out a whole bunch of fluid. A common source of water is wastewater from oil and gas operators, from oil and gas operations since it has other chemicals in it that make it particularly good at its job. Researchers at Penn State, however, have run a few tests and found that it may be doing more harm than good. Runoff from the roads carries these chemicals into the nearby environment or even being sent into the air, which people living in which or even being sent into the air which people living nearby breathe in. 
While some counties in the state have already banned the disposal of wastewater by spreading it on roads, others have yet to do so, and I believe this is even a problem in California in the context of salts in the soils, but uh, I don't know. Some produce water. It's not all equivalent, right? Some has high TDS, perhaps a lot of chemical we wouldn't want out, so I, I don't see a problem if it's low TDS, uh, pretty natural lease water produced be spread on the road, but then again, in the public's eye, it's produced fluid, is produced fluid, so I'm not going to hold my breath. Well, well, I think there just needs to be a little bit more clarity or maybe some standards on, you know, what those level of TDS is or, you know, if there are certain, you know, chemicals that these Penn State researchers found that, oh, these can actually be super harmful for the environment, maybe we just do some water sample tests before you know, spreading these on these roads and just make sure, nope, these are totally fine. You know, this is very similar to, you know, the water that you get out of the local stream over there. Um, we're just, you know, it's it's coming out of the ground. We've really got nothing to do with it. So we might as well use it to, you know, keep the dust down. So I'm kind of with you on this one, Tavis. It's, it's, I'm a little bit torn, but I do think that there's kind of a, a path forward to where it can be a win-win for everyone. But let's talk about how the lieutenant governor and Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate, John Fetterman, has set his sights on the oil and gas industry. Fetterman has recently come out against big oil companies in his state of Pennsylvania, claiming that they should be held accountable, claiming that they should be held accountable for price gouging customers at gas stations. Attacking big oil is a popular stance to run on lately, as people are sick of paying a premium for their gasoline, despite oil companies reaching record profits. Fetterman has called out Chevron, Exxon, and Shell specifically, and says that if elected, he will crack down on oil executives and their companies for profiting off the backs of the everyday American. And Tavis, this one just bugs me, because here's the thing, I get that oil and gas companies are making record profits, that's because oil prices are at record levels. <laughs> right. It is not their fault. It is purely economics. And I mean, what are they supposed to do? Oh, we'll just give you a discount. I mean, then they're not making any money. It is a business after all. Right. There's limited supply. And if one guy offers $5, the other guy offers 10, whoever's selling is going to go for the highest bidder. So you can't really be too bitter at the end of the day. A little play on words there. <laughs> Love me some homophones. But this last article Great contrast to the one you just talked about, Dr. Oz. He's the opposite candidate to Fetterman, known more simply, oops, opposite candidate to Fetterman, which Kevin just discussed, is TV personality Dr. Mehmet Oz, known more simply as Dr. Oz, who is gunning for a seat at the state Senate. While Fetterman is quite publicly against the oil and gas industry, Dr. Oz is all for it. The industry has returned the favor, donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to his business and campaign. Oz has defended big oil companies amidst claims that they are profiteering off of high gas prices, claiming that the government has made it difficult to carry on production. So, not the hero I expected the energy industry to have, but I guess we'll <laughs> take it. But Kevin, that's all I've got for this month's episode. You got anything else? Nice. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how this um, race over in Pennsylvania goes. I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on it more out of curiosity's sake than anything. And tell you what, we will keep you guys updated as well. Kevin's right. We will keep you updated. In fact, we're making content almost every week. I've got a podcast coming out every Monday. 
The interns are writing stuff Wednesday and Thursday. The Nick turns, I should say. Thanks, guys, for putting this together so we could record Bass and Breakdown. I mean, we've got lots coming out, and I think there's going to be some big opportunities in industry presented shortly. So stay patient. Keep on giving yourself that competitive edge by listening to this free content. And hey, this has been Tavis and Kevin. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Bye.